Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Get more at 971talk.com. 971FM Talk Podcast. Good weekend to you. It's hard to believe that a week from now it'll be Christmas, or we'll be celebrating Christmas anyway. So thanks for being here this weekend. Hopefully you have everything done that you need to get done. I know for a fact that you don't, because nobody does. If you are done with everything you need to do for Christmas, you are in some sort of rare territory. Because that doesn't happen. So thanks for tuning in. Anyway, I am Ryan Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. We have a lot to get to this week. It has been a busy week. Usually December is a little slower. And I like the pace of December. News-wise, there's, this has not been a slow December. Partially because we had a Senate electri- election <laughs> at the beginning of this month. We're still only in the middle of this month. I guess technically. You know, it's the, it's the middle-ish even Christmas, we think about Christmas as being the end of the month, but it's still not even the end end of the month. Um, anyway, I wanted to get to all of the Carrie Lake news because the problem is I've been trying to read up on this and I'm looking at uh, Arizona Central <clears throat> and some of the local news outlets that are supposed to be the best source of news on these things. And they're just not. They're not really reporting on the claims because the claims of fraud or disenfranchisement are what matters. All the rest of that stuff, it it doesn't really matter what people are saying about Carrie Lake and about Katie Hobbs and all the other down ballot, Blake Masters and Kelly and Abe Hamade and all of these people, Fincham. None of the stuff that people are saying about them matters. The claims that they're making are what matters. And all I've seen from the news, even the local news in Arizona, is the reporting on what the court dates will be, which right now, they've been all over the place. They're supposed to take place at the end of this week's or maybe beginning of next week. The oral arguments were supposed to begin on Monday all I can find now is that the the official court, and I don't know if this includes the oral arguments, like that's the pre-show and then you have the show, or they're including this, but that Wednesday and Thursday is when the actual trial will begin on all of these claims that the Carrie Lake camp is making, along with some of those down-ballot candidates. But I'll focus on Carrie Lake here because she's the one kind of at the top of the ticket. <clears throat> if she's successful, the rest of it will be. If she's not, the rest of it won't. So the complaints themselves, again, that's what matters here, and that's what will be on trial, uh, allege that the number of illegal votes cast in the Arizona election far exceeds the 17,117 vote margin between the two candidates. Realize that is a very, very slim margin between two candidates, 0.67%. That is... I'm not going to say that's as slim as it gets because there actually was a slimmer margin, I believe, in 2020 for President Donald Trump versus Biden. But this is still, it's in that same category of razor, razor thin. So this article cites a cyber expert who claims that there had to be deliberate tampering. I'm not going to get into that because I just don't know enough about it. And it's one guy. So 
if that's part of the trial, great. Then they can look into that. But I'm not going to say, well, this one guy said so, therefore it must be true. Um, I'm going to cite the stuff that I think is a little bit more specific and provable because one person saying, hey, I'm a cyber expert and this looks fishy to me. Well, fine, but you have to have proof to, to have something substantial in court. So <clears throat> here's the really substantial stuff. Quote, tens of thousands of mail-in and dra- drop box ballots did not satisfy signature requirements. Three Maricopa County signature verification employees signed affidavits stating that they rejected signatures as mismatching up to 40% of the time when they had to look at something. So of the 10 ballots that they'd look at, they'd say four of these really do look suspicious, and they'd say these are rejected. However, when they showed up for work the next day, they would see that only about 10% or one in 10 of those had been actually rejected or had been appearing for signature curing. One of the reviewers believes that a manager or people above them were approving the mismatched ballots instead of them. That You can't do that. That's the reason that you have um, election judges or verification employees there. You can't just you know, have people override what they say. Otherwise, you get possible corruption. So that's going to be part of the complaint. And realize, too... I got to move fast here because we got a big show, but a lot of the claims have been that AI does this. That's not true. So if you see that floating around there, that AI is is doing the signature matching, not true. That's false. Um, it is people doing it, and that's good. But you can't have you you can't just have uh, people doing it and then people other people saying, eh, forget it. Who cares? Just put them through. You can't do that. So the complaint also cites a previous report by Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich, which found that the early ballot signature verification used in Maricopa County may be insufficient to guard against abuse. Citing 2020, there were many times, this is real, that there would just be a line in the signature and it would just get passed through. That's real stuff. They would have substantial evidence to prove that. The lawsuit alleges that between 15,000 and 29,000 Republicans were disenfranchised who would have voted for Lake. This is a different issue. Okay, I'm moving on here. According to a calculation performed by big data analyst Richard Barris, who I uh, do enjoy following. He's a smart guy. Big data poll doesn't mean he's 100% right. Uh, He surveyed voters about whether they experienced problems on election day. Now, this is just one poll, but... This is how you'd have to do this. This is how you'd have to gather evidence, is doing polls and attempting to gather enough people to make an estimate on how many people showed up on election day, especially Republicans, because we know Republican precincts were affected by this most, and tried to vote and weren't able to vote, the estimate being between 15,000 and 29,000 Republicans. It doesn't say how many Democrats, so depending on what that would be, that doesn't necessarily mean that would overcome the margin, but still, that's substantial stuff that they'll see in this trial. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Trisha is in studio. Old Roy is not, just so you know, Trisha. Oh. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's crazy. I thought he was right there. Nah, it's just a hologram. <laughs> it doesn't say anything. It just watches you. It's very lifelike. It is. 
Te- the technology is amazing. That's why I wanted to use it. It's impressive. But it, we haven't gotten to... We, visuals, great. Audio, nothing. I didn't know if I was captivating him or putting him to sleep when he, I wasn't getting yeah. a response. I've been talking to him incessantly since I walked in. No, he, he doesn't respond. He just just a, just a uh, facsimile. I like this one. Yeah, me too. He doesn't this say anything. This great. He's quieter. <laughs> um, so I wanted to run a... I have this crazy, crazy idea... Not that I'm saying that this will happen, but it's it's possible, and I, I want to run it by you because it's that nuts, and it's all polit- it's it's full on political craziness. I embracing myself. Yeah, you should. So I pulled up this article. Uh, I follow St. Louis Public Radio. I think they're an NPR station on Twitter. Uh, sometimes I'll listen to them. I like to get uh, balanced coverage on a lot of things, so I will listen to them um, randomly. I don't know why I will just go through a season where I listen to them all of a sudden. Which is crazy because you listen to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I, yeah, I double it up. While I'm listening to Mark Cox in the morning. Talented. I may be listening to Our American Stories. Or just like layered on top <laughs> of each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think Our American Stories NPR. <laughs> yeah. And same, same topic they're talking about, yeah. different angles. So I'm very well-rounded. <laughs> um, but all I, right. This, this tweet comes from St. Louis Public Radio. And it says that Madison County, Illinois, our side of the river, mm-hmm. has become a key target for Illinoisans who want to secede to get away from the political influence of Chicago and its collar counties. But experts say the effort is unlikely to succeed. I don't think they intended to make a pun there, but I had to do that. So, first of all... <laughs> Good one. <laughs> thank, thank you. You're, you're losing it yeah, over there. No, it's great. You and old Roy... <laughs> hologram or dying. He is cracking himself up. <laughs> I, I can make can make him do whatever I want <laughs> in control over here at the board. Um, I, I the, the question is not, have you heard of this? But you've, you've heard of secession movements, sure. right? Um, Illinois has got one. I think every blue state probably has one, especially that are controlled by one major city. Oregon has a really big secession movement. Colorado has a big secession movement. <clears throat> Oregon kind of makes more sense to me. Because the left coast of Portland controls the whole state, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the state is a lot like downstate Illinois, where it's very conservative, <clears throat> and they don't really want to be associated with Port- with Portland. Why does that make more sense in Illinois? No, it does. It makes more sense than Colorado. Ah, gotcha. Because gotcha. geographically, Sorry, uh, Denver is a little more centrally located, so it's harder to kind of carve out. Denver, <laughs> just leave you know? an island. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Liberalism. Lesotho in South America or South Africa. Um, it would be just completely surrounded by New Colorado <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> but there's a huge movement in, um, and there ha- always has been for some reason in California yep. for these kind of things. And I, I hate that whenever I see a story like this, I get kind of excited because I would love to see Chicago as a different state than the rest of Illinois. Because we're so different, mm-hmm. and everybody knows. Even Chicago knows that they mm-hmm. make fun of us downstate for being podunk or whatever. Um, but we know that we know that we are different politically and morally and whateverly, and so we want to have different representation. It ain't going to happen, at least under the current system. But as I'm looking at this map here, and I'll show it to you, that is Illinois. Yep. It is. And maybe you could describe what you're seeing there. I'm seeing the state of Illinois, and I'm seeing on the, like, southeast Mostly side, southeast. Mostly but, southeast yeah. side, a bunch of red, what I'm assuming are counties, mm-hmm. or those counties. And then a 
couple of red counties on the middle western side of the state. Yep. And nothing else. Yeah. And in this map, red doesn't mean Republican, although I guess it kind of does, actually. Um, but what it means is those are states who have voted... Or states, counties. Those are counties within the state that have voted to secede or at least have some sort of referendum, like a non-binding referendum on if this were possible, we would like to secede. So that's quite a few counties sure. at this point. And if they add... Where's just a, Madison County in So that? Madison County is over here. It has not voted on this yet. But that's the subject of the article, is that Madison County, in every single election... Now, this used to be a very, very blue county. In every election for the last 20 years, it just gets redder and redder and redder. And so they're looking Thank at Madison you, County... Thank you, Show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and they're saying, wow, at, at the current rate, we probably could put this to vote in Madison County. And it's one of the most populous counties in the state outside of some of the collar of Chicago. That if they could get Madison County then all of a sudden you're sending a pretty big message. And even in the article, they talk about Peoria now kind of kicking around the idea too, that if you could get Madison County, then eventually St. Clair maybe, you pretty much would have all of Southern Illinois. Then you talk about Peoria, you could have almost the whole state (laughs) voting to secede. Mm -hmm. And not that not that the legislature is going to do that because you have to have the the legislature of the state approve that they're not going to because they would lose influence and <clears throat> legislative seats in Congress both in the Senate and in the House so they would never do it but you're sending a pretty strong message right yeah i mean there i don't i'm not kidding myself that there's a future for actual secession here but is there anything to this I don't know. I don't know that there's a ton of there there. I'd have to see the steps for secession to actually be a realistic thing, but it kind of seems like something people threaten and get really excited about and empty, like empty. I threats. actually I, I agree with you. It is something that excites me mm-hmm. and I also temper that excitement with reality. Yes. I do think it could send a message. It's interesting how many state government, local governments and municipalities are actually talking about it like it's a real thing. Exactly. That there's a map and that right. NPR is covering it. Yes. Yes. So this, And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, that when it starts to become a thing, well, then it starts to become a thing. And mm-hmm. people are going, hey, look, I mean... Wouldn't it be something if national media started saying, well, that's Ill- Illinois is one thing and Chicago's another. You, you know that half the state voted to secede, right? You know, if that becomes a talking point, it starts to have a little bit of merit to it that Chicago is a different animal than the rest of the state. That's a fine talking point that I would love to see. Isn't that similar to most states, though? Your, your most populated cities are blue the red like look at new york right mm-hmm. like you've got new york city that is the machine like the yeah. chicago machine and then you've got buffalo which yep. is a bit different which i would assume still is still blue but but not although not i don't york know city. much about buffalo are there red places red areas in new york oh certainly yeah i mean most of the map of New York is going to look rather red, Except especially for in this Buffalo, last... the one I chose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, <laughs> well that upstate didn't New work York, out. the rest of New York outside of the metropolis. Yeah. I just don't know if if secession worked, even as a political tool for talking points. I think we'd be hearing it more because it's not like Illinois is the first state to talk about it. We just talked about a bunch of other states. We'd hear this more in in elections, and. 
we would have seen some action if there was action to be taken at okay. this point. I'm, I'm actually, we're on the same page. Now, at the beginning of this, though, I teased that I had this crazy idea. Here's the crazy idea. Oh, I thought your crazy idea was listening to NPR. No, no, it wasn't, although that's borderline. Here's the crazy idea. It, as you just pointed out, it's not going to happen in blue states. I have heard of, because they're not going to allow their influence to be diminished, because they love having the population, but then just keep them in the minority. Great, works out. Red states do the same thing, of course. I don't hear the same secession movement in red states as much once in a while, but not much. During Donald Trump era, you did hear it a little bit more, but it was more like, why don't we have California secede from the union versus Mm -hmm. break it up? So here's my crazy idea. If it can't work in blue states, follow me here. Now, this is crazy, crazy, not even suggesting that it would or could happen. It could happen. Not suggesting that it would. But if Republicans really wanted to be super bold and say, here's how we assure that we will always hold the Senate for the next 50 years. You take a deep red state. Mm-hmm. You split it in half. I you see have where you're them going with this. vote to secede from themselves and they could pass it because their legislature would be Republican like Alabama. You just decide or even Missouri. You decide, you know what, St. Louis and Kansas City are our blue bastions. Let's just carve out a portion of northern Missouri and call it North Missouri, new state. We're not losing a whole lot of population. It's not going to swing the state blue to lose just a few people up there. But you've got an extra red state. You have an extra representative in the House and two senators. Crazy? There's got to, I don't know how you, I don't know how secession actually works. Well, I, all that has, yes. In theory, this would work. Yes, exactly. But if it were as simple as that, I would imagine that states would have been doing that for a while. Yeah. The only thing that I can think of that would be a legal hurdle would be if the U.S. Congress has to approve it, which I don't know about. I know that the state's there legislature has to, has to approve it. some national oversight to create a completely different state. And I think there is. But in a year, let's say you have a Republican-controlled Congress. Now, you may have to have a supermajority, but I don't know. And maybe you wouldn't. You, you might just have to have a... I don't know. But I'm just saying, it's not... It's crazy because nobody's ever talked about it. And I'm not even suggesting it's going to happen or that it would. I just think under that logic, why stop at one state doing it? Why wouldn't all of the red states break up into multiple states? Not my point just exactly. Not just one little... Like, not just like point. a chip of northern Missouri. Why wouldn't we make Missouri 10 states exactly. and take that many more? There's got to be a reason why we're not doing that. Well, partially probably because of what we just said, that there are legal hurdles to it. Uh-huh, that's, There's also that's what I'm referencing. popular opinion are. that is not on board with doing that at this point. But if it continues to get that divided, and here's my other point, I'll finish on this, that blue states, you'd say, oh, well, if red states started doing it, blue states would just start doing it. It would be a lot harder for blue states to do it because their population is so densely uh, packed into small areas. Mm -hmm. So it would be really hard to carve those out into states, whereas Republicans have such large areas, you could just carve out, you know, a, a huge portion of half of North Dakota and make two states You still out of wouldn't it. get a ton of representatives in Congress, right? Because your population would be, but you would get senators. It's the senators would be key. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, you've pointed out the, the hurdles. I get that they're there. I think it's illegal. I don't think that they're going <laughs> to let you do it. But if they do, I, I mean, if you can do it, it's brilliant. There's no rule that says that I could not be Speaker of the House. I'm not a representative, but I don't have to be. So I think step one, is elect, elect me, you speaker. speaker. And then you can get a cool por- portrait like Nancy Pelosi just got this week. Yeah, which is fine. I don't even care about the portrait. I care about mm, crazy ideas. You don't care about the portrait? No. At all? I just want to get in there and just start throwing elbows with these crazy theories I've got about how the states could break up. The media is going to love you. Yes, they will. Why is it interesting to talk about the RNC and who's leading the RNC? Well, it's not. It's not at all. It's super boring and it's dumb. But it matters, and it's because this cycle, you think back to the midterms, everybody's still trying to figure out why in a what should have been an incredibly favorable Republican environment, Republicans didn't do that well. Now, they took back the House, of course. They did not take back the Senate. They did not take back the White House because the White House was not up for grabs in the midterms. That's why it's called a midterm. But everybody's trying to figure it out, and what people have concluded is that Democrats have gotten so good at vote gathering. I'm not going to use the word harvesting because that's illegal in some states and it it has connotations. But Democrats have gotten so good at early vote gathering, going to places where they know their voters are heavily centered and just making sure that they either cast a ballot or they collect their ballot, that... They were able to win that election. That's the consensus. That's what everybody's saying. I urge caution that maybe there's something else going on. You know, this is actually when people bring election fraud claims. And we talked about, I'm not saying that we can't talk about these things. I'm just saying that some people, when they just say election fraud, they're referring to this kind of thing because they say, well, how could Joe Biden get 81 million votes? Or how could Democrats hold the Senate and almost hold the house in a year where crippling inflation, you know, there's there's really no good news over the last two years at all, other than I guess Roe v. Wade being overturned. If you're a Republican, that's good news. But other than that, there really is not good news across the board for everybody. Economic news, that's good for everybody, that kind of stuff. And it usually drives voters. So why in this election cycle? Was it so strange? Well, that's what people are turning to. And back to the election fraud point that I was making, a lot of people who just sort of say the words, they're looking for an excuse as to why Republicans could lose. That It still needs evidence, though. You still need evidence. And like we said in the first, you know, the beginning of this show, and if you missed that, rewind. We, we, we broke down, I broke down, everything going on in Arizona and... The uh, the fight between not Hobbs and Lake anymore, but Lake and the system, and to see what can happen with her claims of election fraud in Maricopa County specifically, it's really amazing. So don't don't parse what I'm saying here and 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 think that I'm not talking like that. I'm just dismissing it, but I am saying that a lot of people will just say the words. And not really have anything to back it up other than just a gut feeling because of things like the midterms where they go, how could that happen? It has to be something nefarious. So in light of that, the whole vote gathering thing has gotten a lot of attention, which leads us back to at the beginning when I started talking long way around here. 
but the RNC and who's going to lead it because they say Ronald McDaniel did not do a good job in the last couple of election cycles, especially. Now, 2020, you can kind of forgive her or forgive the apparatus for failing because, my gosh, what the heck was happening in 2020? All kinds of laws were being changed and broken and sometimes permanently changed and permanently broken in some states. And some of them have been fixed and gone back. But we're in a new era now. And it was already happening pre-2020, but now it's been accelerated like crazy because of 2020 and election laws changing to make it easier to vote without anybody ever seeing you. So that's why this whole story about Ronald McDaniel and who's going to lead the RNC matters, because we want to see somebody who's going to take the party in a direction of playing by the new rules so that we can reverse those rules back to a more sane pattern uh, in states where there's voting for three months or whatever it is. We want to see something that looks a little bit more like an election day. Uh, we want to see stricter rules on making sure that fraud doesn't happen because it's always happened. So people look to Lee Zeldin, who did very well in New York, even though he didn't win. He uh, pushed a lot of seats, house seats in New York red Uh, He did a very good job of getting out the vote there. And so people look to him because he was maybe going to run for the chair of the RNC. He has said he's not going to because, and here's what's depressing, he can see behind the scenes. And he says, Ronald McDaniel's got too much support, so I'm not going to run. I urge her to not run as well. He was fighting the system while also acknowledging that the system existed. Now, Harmeet Dillon She is a very, very smart lady. Uh, She is much more of a grassroots activist, and that's about all I know about her. I've seen her name a lot, um, but she has the support of everybody who's saying no more Ronna McDaniel. Here's the problem. Ronna McDaniel has the pledges of support of 108 of the 168 Republican National Committee members voting in next month's chairmanship race. But here's the deal. If you're if you're looking for some sort of ray of hope that either she would not be the head of the RNC in the future or that she would listen to all of this micro-targeting that's been done, I have good news for you. A, I think she is. She's going to have to. Um, she does seem like she's kind of in it for herself. But ultimately, if everybody's yelling, you need to do this, she's going to do it. But here's the other good news, because hopefully, you know, I don't know much about Harmeet Dillon. I don't know whether I want to throw my support behind her as if that matters, but here we are talking about it. But she does seem like she's got more fire, and she's not doing it for herself. She's doing it for country, for party. Um, here's how she could win. A lot of people, apparently, and this is according to the Washington Times, a lot of these committee members, these 168 Republican National Committee members, will often, this happens, you know, somewhat regularly, to her face, to Rana's face, say, yes, I will be voting for you. That's how you get 108 out of 168 publicly saying, I'm going to vote for Rana McDaniel. Why? Because they're cowards and they're trying to save face and they know that if she wins, which she very well could, they want to keep their position. If they vote against her and she wins, they might lose that position. So they're playing both sides of the aisle, and it's a secret ballot. So they could be publicly saying, I'm going to support you, 
while privately I'm going to write Harmeet Dillon on this ballot and no one will know the difference. So there is still a very distinct chance that Harmeet Dillon could be leading the RNC. And if you see that happen, you could see some pretty big changes. I mean, we on this station will have members of the RNC come on and talk about strategy and things. I'm not sure we've ever talked to Ron McDaniel, but we've definitely talked to people who are pretty high up in the organization regularly, somewhat regularly. And we like to hear the strategies. Those strategies may be wildly different, and the people running it, you know, she could come in, Harmony Dillon could come in and just clean house. So all the people that you're used to hearing, um, Cassie Smedley, for instance, names like that. I don't know. I, I'm just speculating here. You could be hearing a whole new slate of people if you get a new head, a new chair. However, a lot of those people are just trying to save face. So it could be a lot of the same people, too. I don't know. I'm just reporting this to you because it is the thesis of the midterms that the Republicans need to fix the RNC and fix their ground game. And here we are. Maybe it's going to happen. Stick around because in the coming segment, we're going to talk about both Dana Carvey and Bill Maher, who interviewed each other. I guess it was technically Bill Maher's podcast, but when you hear it, they're just, they're just talking. And they said some really interesting things about climate change. Now, Bill Maher's on record as saying a lot of political things. Dana Carvey's not. Hey, we are almost to the top of this hour. A topic I wanted to bring up before we hit the top of this hour, though, was a podcast that Bill Maher does. Didn't even know he did a podcast, but it's called Club Random with Bill Maher. The guy has uh, certainly taken some more interesting positions. He has. Uh, he's not somebody that I would necessarily politically agree with on most things now. I think he's just tired of wokeism and the entitlement generation. Certainly, it's a generational thing for him. I'll actually play a couple of clips when he's interviewing Dana Carvey here in a second, and you'll hear a familiar refrain from him where he's talking about the the, the kids these days thing. You know, he, he gets made fun of for being an old man now, and he's like, I don't care. Uh, that's not the way liberalism is supposed to go. Uh, let me also just set this up. So Bill Maher is interviewing Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey actually has his own podcast on Odyssey somewhere called Fly on the Wall with David Spade. I've not heard it, but I've heard clips of it. And it, at least what I heard was interesting. I may have just been hearing highlights, though. So there you go. All those things exist out there somewhere if you want to tune into them. Uh, and you can also get this podcast once we get done. Wiggins America. You just type it in and it'll come up uh, pretty much everywhere. Okay, so Bill Maher interviewing Dana Carvey. They're just doing jokes. I mean, they're telling stories and stuff that you do on a podcast. They don't always go into politics. Good for them. They're telling stories. But when they do, it's because of this joke, which I'll play just for the setup so you understand where we're coming from here. They Greta like, Thunberg is fading as an impression. I, I had a two, <laughs> I have a four-second impression of her, a 15-year-old oh. high school kid with Asperger's lecturing the world. It's just, it's just two words, three words. How dare you? How dare you? So that no, was, and I understand her plight, and I'm sympathetic yeah. to it. I think she's a brave person. Totally. But I, but I also think she is not representative of her generation, who love to, like, blame us. You wrecked the world. Yeah, like, you're doing it differently. Like, you're not driving. So Bill Maher goes in on that theme, which he often does, about how this generation is full of hypocrites, especially with climate stuff. Um, and he's right. You know, you, you can't sit there and yell at everybody for destroying the world and then participating in the destruction of the world. It's, <clears throat> it's people that will say, well, I'm trying to change the whole system. I can't, I can't not participate in the system, but what I can try to do 
is change the system. Okay, well, good for you. Here's where the conversation goes. And it's the only one that really made any headlines out of this, if you want to say that. I've found very little on this. But uh, this is Dana Carvey responding. We are going to do this, basically. We're going to try to get to the renewables when they're, they're practical and they can take over fossil fuels. Nobody, everyone's a Republican when the lights go out. Okay, so very practical topic there. Pretty practical way of approaching it, too. To say we're going to get to renewables when we can get to them. We're trying... Um, but we're not there yet, and you can't force it. you got to let technology catch up to the desire. And that's really all he's saying. The comment, everyone's a Republican when the lights go out, is uh, the headline. Again, not a whole lot of coverage of this, but the headlines that do exist said that. And that's very true. Uh, everybody, we want our comforts. We have to have our things. And at this point, they're not just comforts. I mean, if you're on a certain medication, like I am for CF, and the power goes out, well, you got about a day before you've got to find new refrigeration for some of those medications. So it's not just convenience, it's life. I mean, this is the way we live now. And everybody wants these things to be renewable. I would say most conservatives, libertarians certainly, are all in favor, most people in general are all in favor of renewable energy. That would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, there's some things that would go along with it that actually fit into the libertarian worldview to say, wouldn't you like to be off the grid? Wouldn't you like to produce your own power at your own house and just deal with what you got? That'd be great, wouldn't it? So everybody's for it. They're just against the way that it's being pushed and framed by the government. And then certain things that you can do, certain things that you can't do so that we can get there as dictated by your government. Dana Carvey, Bill Maher, are just saying that. And they go on, actually, here to say more of the same thing, that they're not saying, well, look, we're not climate deniers, but... Yeah, hey, you know, but, yeah, I think we'll be fine. I mean, I read Matt Ridley and uh, Beyond Lombard and other alternative, yeah. not deniers. I no, hate when you're, not exactly. But, but say, we will migrate, we will get, we'll build well, dams, we, we'll do what we do. I, smart stuff. I mean, I don't know any of those authors he's talking about, but the theme of what he's saying is that there are people who are not necessarily um, Bill O'Reilly <laughs> who who are criticizing the way we're doing climate science, or at least the result. Maybe they're, they're, they're saying, yes, all these things are true. I don't even know if they're criticizing the results of the science. They're criticizing the way we're using them. And that's what Dana Carvey is saying there is that he's read some of these people and that they're fascinating and that they're saying, we will migrate. We will adapt. That's what we'll do. We will adapt to these things. Don't try to destroy the world to stop them from happening because either A, you're not going to stop them and then you're just going to destroy everything in the process. Or B, uh, everything you're going to do is going to be so horrible that uh, that you're... You're not really achieving what you want because the population itself will rebel against them, and then you won't achieve what your end goal anyway. Uh, these are all common sense things, but they lead to this final comment that I wanted to play here from Dana Carvey and Bill Maher again on the podcast Club Random with Bill Maher. That I'm just glad that these conversations are happening outside of these four walls and this here frequency 97.1 you know in places like fox news we feel like we're in a bubble a lot but when you hear this kind of stuff you go hey you know what maybe it's not just me maybe i'm not on the fringe 
or at least I, I feel like I am, but maybe maybe there's people that are listening to what we're saying more than just, you know, the little bubble that we think it is. Here you go. And now India and China, those countries and many others. They're going to live with it. Well, you know, they were now there. Many of those people are just coming into the middle class. So it wasn't an option for them to have cars and refrigerators right. and fly on and planes. air conditioning. And air conditioning, especially. And now that they can have those things, their attitude is, wait. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. We, well, hold all on. The time. Oh, I know. And the we, Africans, too. They're you, like, you, no, well, let me get wait, this straight. You used it all up. Yeah. And now we can't have air conditioning We're, because yeah, we have, we have fan, to all be good now. We have to now. fan ourselves like no, in the 17th yeah. century while you no. were in an icebox half your life? Yeah, exactly. No, I don't think so. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's a point I've never heard made, but it is so it's it's so true that what we're doing and the way we're dictating climate policy, or at least the left is, is so condescending as to say uh, you, we have had these things for a few generations now, like air conditioning, for instance. But now that you're starting to get them, we're going to make up some new rules for the way you have to use them. And India and parts of Asia and the Middle East and Africa and developing nations are going, oh, hey, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that you've had these things, enjoyed them at your leisure, and now that I'm getting them, oh, now I have to follow your rules. They're not doing it. <laughs> I mean, folks, they're not. China does not follow our rules. Paris, maybe. Nigeria, no. They're not doing it. So all of this sanctimonious preaching that climate climate uh, lovers are doing is going in one ear and out the other. It's just the it's just the left of the West that is having these discussions internally, and it is it is super condescending to tell the rest of the world this is how you have to do this now, and it's not working. All right, we are up against the top of the hour here. Wanted to get that in before we did because I thought that was interesting. It's always just good to hear it's outside the the halls of 971 and Fox News and things like that, you know? It's just good. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.